Welcome. This is Karen Motokaitis, and you're listening to How She Really Does It, the place where inspiration and possibility meet. I believe there are many ways to live life. I believe there are many journeys for all of us to take. We can learn from others to see what is possible for ourselves. I believe there are possibilities for all of us not just the ones who've acquired great success, but including those of us who have stumbled, lost our way, or only saw a closed door. With this show, maybe you can now see a glimmer coming through the windows. I call that the windows of possibility. So what I just shared with you was the old intro to the show. So if you've gone back and listened to the archives, we have probably close to 900, if not over 900 shows. I know that's a lot. So with the 900 shows, that can be overwhelming. It's like, oh my gosh, where do I get started? I get it. I see you. I hear you. Don't worry. We've got you. If you go to our website, www.howshereallydoesit.com, you can sign up to get your free podcast playlist, which is a nice starting point where we have a curated collection of some of my favorite episodes. So instead of 900, I want to say there's like maybe 18. And so we'll simplify it for you and get you started. And then from there, you can go in. And remember, it's not linear. This is all spiral learning. There's 15 years of great interviews and awesome opportunities for you in here. Now, circling back to why I decided to open the show with my old intro was because I'm going to be talking today about the windows of possibility. And every week, when especially when this was a live radio show back in the day, I would speak that intro every week because that's what this show has always been about, the windows of possibility. What is possible for you? And I want to clarify something, and I've said this here before, we can get into compare and despair which can be really toxic for us, right? It can be a shame trigger. The windows of possibility is not about comparing and despairing and getting into shame. The windows of possibility is about opening up our eyes and seeing what is possible. It's about inspiring us. It's about motivating us. It's not just a quick jolt where we go, okay, I'm going to do this. And then we're constantly looking for that next dopamine hit because to create the change that we want in our lives, one of the key elements is consistency. Being consistent over time, you can create transformational change. It's real easy to get motivated for one off and one off event and do it out of excitement or anger or, you know, a shame storm, but to sustain it, to be committed to it, we have to keep showing up and practicing it. And I've talked about that a lot here. So today I'm going to talk about the windows of possibility, because this is something that I've always seen this show as a window of possibility. And there's been a great learning for me that's been going on in the last six weeks or so, as I've been talking about and unpacking what I was thinking around my 50th birthday that came and went. So I'm going to share with you at the end of the show, what I did for my 50th birthday. 
And I also want to talk about why I'm sharing it because it's not that I want to sit here and I'm an N equal one case study because it's not about you doing it my way because you are the best expert. You are the one that has the most insight into you. It's about sharing whether it's my stories or guest stories or client stories or Aquamonster stories. It's about sharing stories and other people's stories so that you can see what possibilities can open up for you, right? What windows of possibility to open up for you? And that's why I call it the windows of possibility. What are the glimmers? For example, a few weeks ago, I was talking about my birthday party and did I want to have a birthday party? And I went through, you know, kind of questioning and really being inquisitive with myself of what is it that I wanted? My husband and probed with the question several months ago and said, Hey, you have a big one coming up. What do you want to do? And he didn't even say party, right? He said, what do you want to do? And my brain went into the cultural programming of, Oh, it's my 50th. I didn't say this word should, cause I've done a pretty good job of eliminating it from my vocabulary, but there was still that intent. Like I really, I think I'm supposed to have a birthday party. <laughs> There wasn't even, do I want to have a birthday party? It was like, oh, I'm supposed to have one. And I was like, oh, I don't have the brain space for this. I'm not even going to think about it right now. And as I rumbled with it, I got really clear of, I didn't want to have a party. I wasn't interested in a party for myself. And if I were to do it, it would be because of what I thought I was supposed to do, or it'd be about other people and not about me. And I really wanted my 50th to be about me. Not that I'm being narcissistic, but really taking up space in my own life. But by sharing my own journey about that, what happened was, and this is an example of what I'm talking about, it's not about doing it my way, but when I talk about this, when we talk about things, what insights do you gather? What nuggets that you can then apply to your own life? So one of my clients had been listening to that podcast and she'd also been planning a big surprise party for her mother. And it wasn't something that her mother wanted, but my client was like, well, this is what I'm supposed to do. If I'm a really good daughter and we love our mom so much, this is what we're going to do. We're going to have a big old surprise party, really big, right? Because the bigger, the better. That's where American culture is. Bigger is better, right? But as my client listened to the show, she really took stock of what does my mom want? What does she really want? Her mom wanted to do some volunteer work. It's like, oh, I'm trying to do this for my mom with good intentions of, oh, I'm a really good daughter. And this is what my mom wants, which is very different. So instead, I love to talk about the Venn diagram. I think about the Venn diagram all the time. What does her mom want? What are the things that they can do? And then where does it meet in the middle? And so her brother was flying out with his family and they were going to surprise her mom at the volunteer. And that's how they chose to spend her mom's birthday and celebrate her mother, right? So that's what I'm talking about. This isn't a blueprint. It's not like, oh, I've done it this way and you need to follow my path. Because the other thing is, is that most of my community is, you're not the boss of me, Corinne. And exactly, I don't want to be the boss of you. (laughs) I'm already working on being the boss of myself and being the leader of my own life and the leader of those, you know, that I'm directly responsible for. I want this. My invitation for you is to be the window of possibility, right? What can we catch and glimmer of of these nuggets to then apply to our own life? And this is to help us so that we can get clarity on what we want and what we really desire. 
you know, it's really challenging. I remember when I was wanting to remodel our home and I looked at other options and we decided to remodel our home. And I was like, well, what do I want? I had no idea what were the options. And I knew there was this particular kitchen that I wanted because I had a girlfriend who had this kitchen that I loved. But outside of that, I didn't know I was not an architect. And so by seeing pictures, by going in homes, I knocked on a lot of neighbors' doors and I asked to look at their remodels. It helped me get ideas of what did I like? What didn't I like? What contractors did I want to work with? What contractors may have not wanted to work with? Those are the windows of possibility. Another example of this is we hear a lot about vision boards. Vision boards are the windows of possibility. You go through magazines, you rip out pages that for some reason just draw you in and you put them down and you go through, you have a stack of papers and then you decide to decoupage certain ones and you can layer them or so on and so forth. And those become the vision boards and you start to see that vision board and then it opens your eyes to seeing more of that in your own life right? It sounds woo-woo and magical, but here's the thing. (laughs) I got this new dress that I really like, and I guess it's like a wrap dress. I don't know how you call it, but I really liked it. And I was going through Instagram this morning and I saw a friend of mine, Karen Walrand, who has been on the show and she had this really cute wrap dress and it was from Target. I was like, holy moly. But I saw it. And the reason it caught my eye is I was familiar with that style because of a dress that I wore last weekend right? I was familiar with that. And I knew that cut fit me well. And so my eye gravitated to her post. Couldn't find it on the Target website, but I was like, oh yes, this is the type of dress that works well for me, right? So that's the idea. And that's the power of a vision board. Like I said, magazines, going through magazines and playing in there. What do you like? What draws you in? What doesn't draw you in, right? Pinterest is another example of going into Pinterest. What do you like? What are clothing styles that you like? What are home styles that you like? What are the things that you like and what don't you like? I've had to do this for design for when I've done websites, when I've done the remodel of my home, when I'm going to go get a haircut, I'm going to go in and take a look and see what are the things that I like? What is it that I don't like? So those are other examples. Those are visual This show is about the audio window of possibility, hearing people's stories, right? In athletics, we do this all the time. A mentor of mine who was a huge proponent, huge leader in in the Title IX, which was a federal law that came into effect the year I was born, so 50 years ago. It's about providing equal opportunities for men and women. But one of the things that my friend Pam has said to me a long time ago was that when other girls got to see girls or women playing sports. It was like, well, of course I could do this, right? Why not me? Like Abby Wambach, who is a world-class soccer player, professional soccer player. She talked about how she didn't have those female role models. She had men to look at, you know, but once we had the women, look at how much our women's sports movement has grown. I have a little side story. My daughter is 22 now and she's a collegiate athlete, but when she was little, she was probably like seven or eight years old. And we went to the UC Davis basketball games. And back then the women played first and the men played directly after. Now they play on different nights. But so we went early and my family, we'd we'd go home, we had early bedtime. And so we usually would leave and we watched the girls basketball game and 
I think at that time, my daughter was more interested in being a cheerleader than, you know, being a basketball player or, or a swimmer. But so we went to the basketball game, watched it. The women did well. They probably won. And then we stuck around for a bit longer. And then she saw the boys come out and she was kind of looking at them and really thinking. And you could see her brain spinning. And we stayed for a little bit. And she goes, you know, I guess it's okay that boys play basketball. It'd be okay for them to do it too. Because in her brain, she'd been exposed to females playing basketball. She didn't even realize that men played it. That is the power of the windows of possibility. She did not have the context to understand that men also played basketball. It's not that we didn't have, I'm sure we had basketball going on, but she wasn't engaged in it, right? If it was on television, she didn't pay attention to it. Or maybe we watched it when she went to bed. I don't know. But that was a really good perspective. And it aligns with what I'm talking about here. The other version in athletics is that as a swim coach, one of the things that we love the kids to do, especially when we go to championships, is either if they get to make the meet on a relay, we're always really encouraging of, hey, it's worth it to come because now these kids see, of, oh, there's this other meet and this is what's possible. And then they start to go, that's where I want to be next year. What are the things I need to do to make sure I get there? Right. Or watching somebody swim at a meet and going, they can do that. Why not me? And as simple as in practice, one of the things that I love about group swim lessons versus private swim lessons is if there's somebody else there, we have this little monster and she got in and she was doing it and her cousin was sitting outside and did not want to get in for a couple of days. And she's like, it's okay. Look. And she was able to encourage him to get in because she was doing it. She was an example of what was possible and that it was going to be safe. And she used her verbal skills. She talked him through it. And she was also an example of what was possible. Okay. And yesterday, last night, he was so proud of himself. So in athletics, we encourage kids to watch others swim, race, or demonstrate to capture a visual of what is possible. In this possibility, it's inspirational. It can feel good. It can be overwhelming because sometimes there's too many possibilities. It's like, which one do I choose? And having constraints really, really important. And that's why I've talked a lot about knowing what your values are is really important because that can help you, right? Like there's so many possibilities for kids in youth sports. One of my biggest recommendations for families is pick sports that align with your family values right? If it's a sport that teaches something that may go against your family value, really think about, is that something you want to get involved with? There's not a right or wrong, but really check in with that. It can be overwhelming with the possibilities and it also can be inspirational. The other thing about those windows of possibilities is that it really opens up our mind instead of closing them. So again, whether it's that little girl who's a little monster, who's learning how to swim and inviting her cousin to get in with her into this really deep pool. And he's not quite sure about it, but it's opening his mind of what is possible before he saw this place as something that to be feared. And now he's learning, like, maybe I can learn some skills so that I can be empowered in this environment, right? The fear that we have when we have fear, and that's a really important feeling. It's not a bad feeling. It's an important feeling. And we feel it because it's our brain's way of telling us there's danger and our brain has a job to keep us alive, right? 
One of the obstacles of fear is, and neuroscience talks about this, is that when we get into fear, our brain narrows its sight. My hands like really close. We lose our perceptual ability to see. We get this really, really hard focus. And so we can miss out on stuff. If you're ever running late and you have a really important appointment and you can't find your keys and you can't find your keys and you get more and more and more and more stressed and you get frustrated. Well, part of that is what's happening is your brain is getting, it's so fearful. It can't see what may be right in front of you. And it could be that the keys were right there on a table that you just didn't see, or maybe your glasses are on top of your head and you can't find them and you can't find them and they're right on top of your head. So that's what happens when we're in fear. And it's, so it's really important to come from this place of curiosity, to come from a place of compassion so we can open up our brain and we can see all that's around as well as with compassion has boundaries so we don't get overwhelmed. Another example of this is over the last 15 years is I have been working on self-care and I've had Jen Loudon on the show and she was one of the first experts to talk about self-care. She was on Oprah's couch, I think in the late 80s and talking about it. And there was a lot of hate mail that went to the Oprah show about how dare this woman talk about self-care. She has to take care of her family. How dare she, right? (laughs) And that has its own, you know, obstacle because of what women are supposed to do and not supposed to do. We're not allowed to take care of ourselves, right? So as I've evolved and learning how to take care of myself at first, people say, oh, you need to have self-care. And I was like, but I don't like to get manicures done. Like for me, it wasn't a joy. I was like, well, I guess I suck at self-care. Just go back to working hard. Don't take care of myself. The self-care has been in this ongoing practice and cultivation. It's like learning how to swim. It's just this ongoing thing. And when people would ask me, because they were trying to be supportive and help me, you know, remember that I needed to have self-care and take care of myself. When they would ask me, they would say, you know, so what do you do for self-care? Which sounds like a really neutral question, right? Like, hey, what do you do? That, my friend, was such a shame trigger for me, right? It was like, oh, crap, I'm doing it wrong. (laughs) I don't know what self-care is supposed to look like. Oh no. Another thing I'm doing it wrong. I really suck at this, right? Like then the noise in my head at some point, like I had finally just surrendered and it was like, okay, I don't know what I do for self-care, but what do you do for (laughs) self-care? And in that moment, she started talking to me and telling me about the things that she does for self-care. And I was like, oh, some, I was like, nope, Chuck, not for me. And some, I was like, ooh, that's really interesting. And I kind of made a mental note of that. Some I forgot, some I remembered and implemented or tried out. So when you can ask others and get insights, the windows of possibility of what others do for self-care, that's the nuggets of wisdom I'm talking about, right? And instead of shutting down like I do, or so many of my clients do, like when we get, uh oh, I've got to have the right answer, or I should know this, you know, so many of my clients are like, wait, I'm intelligent, I'm hardworking, and I don't want to be too much by taking self care or being ridiculous because of, you know, some self care seems so small. Like one of the things that I keep talking about, and I have to notice there's a judger in my head of, I really have been celebrating putting lotion on my calves, right? Putting lotion on my legs and taking that two minutes or so that it takes to put the lotion on. 
that is a self-care movement that is very low cost and very low time cost, but something I didn't make space for that often until the spring of 2022 right? I would only do it in dire need and I wasn't doing it consistently, creating a a ritual, a practice with it. And I could judge it. And instead of what I've done is I'm like, oh, it's not too small. It's something that really delights me and I feel better. My skin feels better, right? And it's something that I do and I'm going to own that story and I'm going to love myself as Brene Brown would say, right? And it's not too small. And that's an example. So My invitation for you is what types of self-care maybe that you already do that you're judging yourself that, oh, it's ridiculous or it's too small. Remember I said that I don't like manicures. I've I've done them. Maybe I just get stressed out because they start to chip and then I'm like, oh, then I see the flaws. I have a daughter who loves to get manicures and she, she gets so excited about them and she gets them done these different things. She's willing to spend the money. She just loves it all. That is awesome. If that is her self-care, that is great. It would not be mine. If she made me go to with her, that would not be a self-care for me. I've tried it a few times and for where I am in this chapter of my life, it is not. It does not mean in a future chapter, it won't be self-care. It's just for now. It's not. Last summer, I was in Mexico and I decided to go get a massage. And I do love massages. Typically, I only do get it in town because I have this fantastic massage therapist. But I decided, you know what? I'm here. I'm going to I'm going to go and get a massage. And it was quite delightful. I loved it. And then I thought, well, I'll get a pedicure. This will be delightful, too. So then a couple days later, I got a pedicure and I did that. And it was a really great experiment because I. I realized like, mm, I would rather spend that time and that money on another massage over a pedicure. That was just me, right? Maybe you're like, no, no, I love a great pedicure. Forget the massage. I wouldn't have known had I not done both of those things. So now this year, when I go to Mexico, I'm going to definitely book a couple massages while I'm on the trip and I'm going to skip the pedicure. So what I did about self-care was I started asking, what do you do for self-care? That helped me create a window of possibility of what does it look like? I started to learn beyond what I thought self-care was or what it may have been role modeled to me, which it really wasn't role modeled or there was a lot of judgment in the people that who did do things to take care of themselves. Like, oh yeah, they just, you know, they take a really long bath and then we have to wait for them. And it's just ridiculous, right? So there were the put downs that went with that. So I would look at that and go, well, I don't want to be that. And I wouldn't do my self-care. And when I can learn beyond what was role modeled to me, I can start gathering my own ideas and I can make a list And then I call that my recipe file of what are the things that I like to do? Speaking of remodel. So I remember with the architect, I got rid of the bathtub in my bathroom and the master bath. I go, that's ridiculous. I don't need a bath. Why would I ever do that? And I just got this really big shower that we had installed instead. And it's quite gorgeous. And the only thing I regret out of my remodel from 21 years ago is I really wish I had a giant size bathtub. So now I'm trying to figure out like, ooh, how can I solve that problem? 
And that's something I'm going to be working on, right? Like getting a really giant bathtub. But 21 years ago, that wasn't something that I delighted in. In this chapter of my life, I really enjoyed taking a bath, even in our little small bathtubs that we have in the other bathrooms. So those are examples about why we want the windows of possibility, because it helps us see what is possible for ourselves, not to compare, but to inspire ourselves to be able to see like, okay, how do I want my life to live? What do I want it to look like? What aligns with my values, my priorities, my resources and capacity, right? And how can I do it in my way, right? So I'm going to now talk about my 50th birthday because many of you have asked. It was quite delightful. I made sure that I was done with work on Friday night and so that I had Saturday and Sunday before this really busy week that I had. And my girlfriend from Montana, who I always go and see, she had come out and we were going to spend the day together. And so my kids were gone. They were at a swimming a couple hours away. And so was my husband with them. And we were trying to decide she was going to come up here. My kids were really bummed. They're like, what do you mean K-Mac is coming and we don't get to see her? They were like, they didn't say it that way. They're like, oh, K-Mac is coming. At first, they were really excited, and then they found out she was coming, but coming here and not going to the swim meet two hours away. So she and I talked, and she actually wanted to go to the swim meet. I wanted to go because I wanted to see my kids. I have lots of friends there, so it would be great. I go pick her up. I drive an hour, go pick her up. We drive an hour down together, go to the swim meet. I have another friend that was there. She gets to hang out with my family. We went to lunch together. She and I left, we drove back, we went and did some stuff, and then I dropped her off. So it was actually quite a delightful 12 hours that I had. And what we did was we did that Venn diagram. It was really uncomfortable because we had to like coordinate, is this what you want to do or is this what you want to do, right? Neither of us wanted to overstep. We just knew that I wanted to spend time with her and she wanted to come and celebrate my birthday with me, right? The day before. So that's what we did. It was all delightful. And in all of it, one of the things I had to make sure check in on is, am I doing this because my kids are missing her? Or is this something that I also want to do and go to the swim meet? And the answer was, I wanted to go to the swim meet too. I wanted to see them. I wanted to see friends that were down there. I liked the swim meet to go to. And I thought about it. It was also really fun to get out of town because we had the university graduations and the high school graduations. And I was ready to explore a bit and get out of town after being here for a couple of years. So I've really been in and out of the last year. So that's really, that's a, quite a story I was just telling myself. So anyways, that's what I did on Saturday, came home, had a nice quiet evening at home by myself, which is quite delightful. <laughs> so, so delightful. And then on Sunday, my family was still out of town and which was all planned. That was my birthday, my 50th. And I had a couple of girlfriends who then took me out to brunch. We went to another town and we went to brunch and, and that was fun. They had this adorable outdoor seating arrangement. We had great food, conversation, and I asked for what I needed in terms of some things and we did it. Then I came home for a quick bit. And then I had another friend who then took me to this winery that we have in town that I love she took me to this painting class. And let me tell you, when she first reached out to me about this, (laughs) I was like, I looked at him like, oh, because I love this winery. It's like, and then I looked at him and I read the description. I go, hmm, this is not paint by numbers. Oh, hell no. I'm out. No way. That's, and it was like, my tummy hurt. That's way too scary. 
And so I sat with it for like a week and I'm like, I'm not doing it. Nope. So then I was trying to figure out how to say thank you, but no. And then I started to uncover like, okay, what's really going on? And I was afraid I was going to do something wrong because it was freehand. I did text her and I'm like, doesn't look like it's paint by numbers. And she's like, you're right. It's not. (laughs) And it was a painting class. There were teachers. So then I realized, okay, what's the worst thing that can happen? I draw some stick figures of sunflowers. Like it's all okay. It's not going to be showcased anywhere. It's all okay. So I decided to lean in and to go do something that's different than I normally do and play. And oh my gosh, it was so much fun. It was a delightful day. The instructors were fantastic. They brought us through. I'll see if we can get a picture on the podcast notes and you can see it. It's sunflowers. It was Van Gogh inspired. That was like the class. And it was great because I could just lean in and play and just remind myself it doesn't have to be perfect, right? Because that perfectionist stuff comes up. Not so bad, but for me that much anymore in this instance, but it was great. It was so much fun. I loved it. And then I came home and then I went to a graduation party. We had one of our aqua monsters was graduating or just graduated and had a party. And so there were a bunch of kids there of all ages. And that was fun. And then I was sitting on the back porch and all of a sudden the kids come out, they're singing happy birthday and there's a cupcake and a candle. So I I guess I took a little bit of time from her party. So I thank her for sharing her party with me and we celebrated hers. And then I went home again to an empty house until my family got home that evening. It was all delightful. Now here's the key learning I had on my birthday that morning because I've been thinking about like, okay, what do I want from my birthday? And I've been making decisions all along. And that morning I decided, you know what, I'm going to celebrate my birthday all year long. And what celebrate it means, it doesn't mean like every meal I go to is going to be a birthday thing, right? It doesn't mean that there has to be cupcakes or candles, though my family, we're going to definitely get me a cake and we're going to have my own birthday party. But it's about, I'm going to celebrate my birthday, my birth year, my 50 years around the sun all year long. And it helps me stay focused on where I want to go instead of being focused on other stuff that may be distractions or obstacles or dramas that aren't necessary for me. So that is the new learning that I have this week. I'm sure as the year goes on, I'm going to be talking about it as this is the thing that I am doing in light of 50. And it's about how am I taking care of myself? Because a long time ago, I was taught and I learned the message of, I need to sacrifice myself to be of value and to be of service to others. And it was that all or nothing. And what I've learned is that I need to take care of myself so that I can truly take care of others without resentment, without being pissed off and angry. And so I'm really working on taking care of myself, right? I'm becoming a woman who takes extraordinary care of herself. I'm celebrating my birthday all year long. And yes, I have a birthday dinner. I'm going to have a girlfriend who's taking me this weekend and that will be fun to go and spend time with her. I have a family party, right? With my family. I have a reunion with my cousins and one of my cousins said, Hey, let's do your birthday there when we're all there. And I said, no, the point is a cousin reunion. I don't want to take up space for my birthday. So I was really clear about that. So when we come back at some point, she and I will do something for my birthday then. And that's giving you an example of, oh, we worry about becoming too much. Like I know the intention of our cousins gathering and I want that to be about our cousins gathering, 
not about, oh, here comes Corinne. We need to celebrate her. That's not what that event is about. Okay. So I hope these things give you some ideas to then kind of go and run with what is it that you want? What is it that you desire? What is it that you think you desire? And then you're like, oh, hell no, not doing that. Kind of like me with the pedicure last year in Mexico. So if you want to celebrate your birthday and want others to be a part of it, my key learning is let people know your birthday is coming. A few years ago, I had a friend pull me aside and give me a talking to about this. <laughs> and I remembered this, what, I don't know, six weeks before my birthday. And I started thinking about it and talking about it. Right. And it is amazing because when you create space for yourself, you allow others to come in and join in that experience. Right. And so one of the things that the research shows is that what's brought into a space when you're a leader only what the leader brings in is what typically is allowed. So if I play small and I discount my birthday and then I just kind of wait to see who's going to remember, or what's it going to be, or, oh, poor me, I'm home all weekend by myself because my family's gone. That would have been because I wouldn't have said, hey, my birthday's coming or even coordinating it. Like I didn't really coordinate it. People reached out. There was a shift within me internally. And so The key learning that I have for my 50th is if you want to celebrate your birthday and you want others to be a part of it, let people know your birthday is coming up. And then the other thing is ask for what you want. You may need time to rumble with it. I've been rumbling for like three or four months about it, right? What is it that I want? I'm going to continue to rumble and I'm going to be celebrating all year long. This means that I'm thinking of more ways I want to celebrate my birthday and what that looks like. And remember, this isn't a blueprint of what you should do, but an idea generation for you to think about what you want and what is a hell no for you. The only wrong answer is doing what you don't want to do. That's the only wrong answer. If you're doing something and you're saying yes, but you already know inside it's a hell no, that's the only wrong answer. So as I wrap up today, the windows of possibility, one, always check in with you. When you have these windows of possibility, check in with you. Is this something you want? Is this something you desire? Or is this something you're supposed to want or desire? Two, remember, these are all experiments. Make sure you assess the risk, right? That's really important. Assess the risk. And are you comfortable with it? Remember the painting, there was like this deep fear of, oh, hell no, that's really scary. I'm not doing it. I'm horrible at painting. I don't know how to draw. And then I had to really access the risk. Like, what's the worst thing that can happen? I make something that's really ugly. I spill paint on me. Okay, so the risk of that is making sure the clothes that I wear, I'm okay with getting paint on, right? If it's ugly, that's okay. I can throw it away. So access the risk and are you comfortable with it? And then commit to the best case scenario. And maybe the best case scenario is you're learning what you like and don't like. Back to me at Mexico last year, the risk was I was going to be out some time and some money by getting a pedicure. What the best case scenario was, is that I got some really good learning of how do I want to spend my time when I'm away on vacation? And that wasn't one. Okay. After you do these experiments, then three is reflect, go inside, 
and reflect on what worked well and what didn't work or could have been improved. If it's a keeper, add it to your list. Remember that recipe file? Add it to your list. Remember, And then the other side is remember where you put the list. And most importantly, remember you'll have something you love as life goes on. You may either drop it, get tired of it, or forget about it. And that's not to be stressed out because there are endless possibilities as well as ways to find them. All right, my friend, I'm smiling big for you in the windows of possibility. Hey, if you enjoy listening to this podcast, you'll love my weekly emails. I know you're thinking, Corinne, really? Do I want another email in my overflowing inbox? Yes, you do. Yippee, skippy, you do. These are short. They're sweet. On Fridays, I send out the Friday podcast. It's a great reminder that there's a new show and it comes straight into your inbox of the latest episode. Awesome. You click on it, you go straight because we all need reminders. We have busy full lives. And then on Sundays, I have my Sunday love column. And these are emails I write from the heart. They're filled with love. We need more love. We all do, myself included. These are short emails where you get a quick takeaway so you can incorporate this into your life because people often want to know what to do and how to do it. And maybe sometimes it's a story that you get, or there's like one time I wrote about the 10 ways to practice gratitude. And that became such a great tool when one of the readers was struggling in the middle of the night, because it can be a scary place in our brains in the middle of the night. And she remembered the email that I sent about 10 ways to practice gratitude. And she was able to practice gratitude and fall back asleep. And that was an awesome lesson for her to incorporate into her life. Go to the show notes and there's a link in the show notes where you can sign up and get these emails in your box. On a lake, she is dreaming, she is drifting, never been so wide awake.